Welcome to the Schools Out podcast with Mike and Miles. Longtime educators Mike Ditzenberger and Miles O'Shea discuss educational issues to provoke thought and encourage solutions. The potential of public education is limitless. We must work together to overcome obstacles to realize that potential and create new structures that work for everyone. The system is broken. Everyone deserves better. We can get there together. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, it's Mike and Miles. My name is Mike Ditzenberger. Um, longtime teacher, 14 years, short time principal. Um, love my job, passionate about it, but think that we could talk about how we could make, possibly make some changes. Miles? And I'm Miles O'Shea, also a longtime teacher, now a principal as well. And Mike and I have had some great philosophical discussions over the years. I'd say so. And what we want to do is make this podcast about bringing those conversations to a larger audience and hopefully present problems that we know exist and also help everyone in finding solutions to them. Yeah, I'd say that some of the problems that we've had, they they don't apply just to, I guess the solutions to the problems don't necessarily apply just to teachers, to administrators. It's a community issue. I think parents could definitely engage with the things that we talk about, students definitely, teachers a lot of people could engage with, with what we talk about. And uh, one thing you taught me a long time ago, Mike, and what your focus is always is students first. Absolutely. And I think that's probably what we'll come back to always in this podcast is how do we improve the experience for students or learners? Take all the other stuff and it's secondary and the learning and what happens to the students is always the most important thing to us in the conversations that we have or the solutions that we seek. I agree. I think when we, in the education world, when we use the term engagement as a buzzword, we forget that engagement really means students first. So that, that's exactly what engagement means. Okay, I think we can wrap up this first intro and we can go right into our first topic. The topics that we talk about, they're maybe going to be a little edgy or maybe a little controversial, but that's because we don't just accept the status quo. We feel like there is something better out there and we want to work on getting to it. Yeah, so here we go. Our first topic right out the bat is all grades are fake. Mike, you say grades are fake. What do you mean by that? Miles, I'm going to get right into it. Um, You have to feed your family, don't you? I do. So when you're making a grilled cheese, right, because grilled cheese is a good Sunday afternoon brunch or whatever you want to call it, On on your scale, your percentage scale, all right, let's go from like 10% to 100%. How would you rate your grilled cheese? I mean, if you were to give yourself a grade on making grilled cheese, what would you say your, your grade is? Well, you know I like to cook. I'm giving myself about a 95. A 95? I mean, do your kids eat the grilled cheese? They eat it. Do they smile? They love it. Really? Not 100? Not 100. I can always do better, so I'm saying 95. All right. Well, I've had your grilled cheese. I'd give it an 80. Oh, you got a rubric for that? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm just, I say you have room to improve too, and I just think room for improvement means 80, not 95. Did you ever have my grilled cheese? No. <laughs> not room for growth. <laughs> so and that's fake. That's the 80's fake. fake. The 80's fake. The 95 is fake. The grilled cheese serves a function, does it not? Do you know how to make a grilled cheese? Yes, I do. You know, there you go. And people eat it. And people eat and it. And it feeds my kids. And once in a while, they're happy about it. <laughs> They're always happy about it. Who doesn't like a grilled cheese? 
let's relate that to math really quick. I mean, math is something that everybody else can, can kind of conceptualize. So let's talk about addition. Do you know how to add? I do. Yeah, so if, you're, if you give a grade to a third grader on addition, so I mean, are, are, there's so much room to talk about that. Are we going to just add single digits, double digits, triple digits? And then how do we assign a grade as to whether or not they do it? Do we give them 40 problems and they get so many right out of 40 and then we divide the top over the bottom and we give them a grade? You get 5 points for the grade, 10 points for the grade, 100 points for the grade? Right. I don't know. But are we grading the concept or are we grading how many they got right? And is that the grade they get for the nine weeks? Because that's fake. Right. Because do they know how to add? Sure they do. They showed it to you how many different times. Even on a 40-problem assignment, they showed it to you how many times. But no, we're going to give them a grade for that. Right. And I think the reason why we came up with this idea or the phrase grades are fake because we've experienced the fakeness of grades on a whole lot of different levels. We're going to talk about that. But we see the damaging effects that those numbers can have on the whole of education. And I don't think COVID did anything to help that out. And I think we were having conversations during COVID and we were watching what schools and students did with percentages and grades during that time. And we came up with that phrase, grades are fake during that time. Yep. And I watched schools say, we can't assess anyone right now. And we can't really teach you. So we're going to give you either a 100 or an 80 or a failure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and <I laughs> Which was it, interesting to me. I thought it was hilarious too because then where does the failure come from? Well, you didn't log on enough times. Mm -hmm. Enough times for what? Right. <laughs> so right there, it's like, okay, let's just be subjective about throwing grades around. And at the same time, we watched, pe we watched schools say, we can't teach you right now or we can't teach you the way that we did. Everyone passes. Yeah. Everyone passes with 100. Mm -hmm. So then for actually hundreds of years, the numbers that we put associated with assessment and learning became fake. Yes. And we took the veil off and we said, surprise, these have always been fake. Mm -hmm. We have always given you numbers very subjectively based on a lot of other things different than... Did you learn or didn't you learn? Do I like you? Are you nice in class? Have you done what you were supposed mm -hmm. to do? Have you been present? Not have you learned? Exactly. And we told everyone they're really fake at that time. Yep. And then as you watch kids come back from COVID education and people do less for a number on a piece of paper, don't ever ask why they're doing less. Absolutely. Because we told them directly at that time. They're fake. A lot of smart people already realized they were fake a long time before that, but that COVID situation really put a magnifying glass on that. Yep. I was just talking to my wife last night, and I said to her, because I, I had to bring this topic back up to her, she did very well in school because that's the kind of person she is. She's the type of person that wants to do everything right for herself. She's not all about like doing it halfways. Everything is, is very meticulous to her. And... Uh, I said, do you ever remember in high school where you were offered like extra credit for something because you wanted to bump your grade? And she goes, yeah. I said, do you ever remember like getting a like a 95 or something like that? Because I know her, you know, she wants to 100 all the time right. because she wants, she's, she's very perfectionist like that. Do you ever remember getting a 95 and then being offered an opportunity to bump that up a little bit? 
she started turning red in the face. She started getting mad because she, then she started like saying names. I remember when Corey got a 98 and I got a 95 and I knew the whole time during that, that lesson, I knew as much as him, I worked with him, we both did the exact same thing and I didn't write a problem or I forget what it was. She made a typo or a clerical error on a, on a quiz or whatnot and she got dinged a point for it and it brought her down and she's, she's like, no, I got the same exact thing and it was concept based and she got, I mean, she was mad. It, it right. hit her hard. And I think everyone who's gone through school, and everyone has, has experiences very similar to that. Yep. And what we're getting at here is that that number on a piece of paper, if you're going to assign a number to someone, their grade on an assignment or their grade for a class, it should let everyone know this is what has been learned. Yes. And about 100% of the time, it is something different than that. What did you do when you took college classes? I'll tell you what I did. I got the syllabus on the first day. I looked at the section where it told me how I was going to be graded. I looked at that and I determined exactly what I needed to do in that course to get whatever grade I wanted. I wanted an A every time. I want 100% every time. But I looked at whatever that professor had laid out to get the grade. Mm -hmm. I didn't open up that syllabus and say, what am I going to learn in this class? Absolutely. Never once thought of it. I opened up that syllabus and thought, what do I need to do to get the A? Yeah, I'd say my journey in college was a lot the same. Um, I'll say my, my graduate experience was much different than my undergraduate experience. My undergraduate experience was a lot like that. Look at the syllabus, determine the grade that I want, and cut everything out that I didn't want to do or didn't, didn't need to focus on, lectures and all those things. If I found out really quick that the lecture had nothing to do with the exam or the quiz or whatever it was that was giving me my grade, I cut that out because it, it was already teaching me, don't learn this, learn the grade. Right. So I focused on the grade and then I, it, for me it was kind of like the end justifies the means. You right. know, just get the grade. Right. And that's something, and we took a, took a look at the history of grading and how we got to this system right now. And that's something that they were talking about as a concern with grades as early as 1846. Yeah. And Horace Mann said, if we assess people this way, people are going to see that the number is important and not the learning, and we shouldn't do this. But like most things we're going to talk about in education, even though almost everyone can see that whatever we do has problems with it and there are concerns about it, we just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Why do we keep doing it? Because it's super easy. It's easy, and, and I, I guess inadvertently our system keeps encouraging this. You know, it, how can we say that we're being effective if we can't give a number of to somebody who's doing something and show that they're, they're doing what we expect them to do? We, we're not measuring growth per se, we're just measuring outcome. So I think when we're talking about grades are fake, we can dive into a little bit of how we got to where we are. And Mike, we did a little bit of research on how we got to this grading system right now, which I think is interesting. And when we talk about questions or issues in education, I like to look at the history because when you talk to some people, it's as if it's just accepted that we have what we have because what we have, and it's just always been that way, but it's Kind of fun to look at the historical roots of that and look at where we are now based on decisions that were made in the past. So we asked, hey, how in the world did we get this A through F grading system in the first place? We found out that the first 
time that you can really see a grading system at all. This is from 1785, and Yale instituted a grading system. And what they did was they wanted to create different levels that their students had achieved. And before that, if you can picture people going to university or college or whatever that is, students went to classes, they learned, and they moved on. And then in 1785, for some reason, Yale wanted to differentiate between the students who were the best in whatever class that was and the students who weren't the best in whatever class that was. I love the word differentiate because to me it sounds like exclude. They wanted, <laughs> they wanted to separate the, 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 the whatever, the top from the middle to the bottom. And yeah, I mean, I... Prior to that, think about what they were doing. I mean, if, if I was if I had something to teach and you didn't know that, I'm going to teach it to you, and now I have to think, do you know it now? Okay, great, you do. Let's move on. Oh, no, that's not good enough. Now, how well do you know it? And do you know it better than someone else? Right. Why is that important? Well, it was back then, and that we carried that forward to such a degree that we can, we can, we can break down by percentiles where you fit. And how well you know something. But it's gotten away from that. Now it's not even about whether you know something. It's more about how much did you do? How much effort did you put in? And does, does that make a huge difference? Well, that, that gets a little bit silly right away. Back when we were building America, it was, can you do this or can you not do this? I need to figure out your strengths and your desires. Now it's, I need to figure out where you fit in society based on a number that you're going to achieve and whether or not you're going to do something and how well you're going to do it and what's your motivation and do you accept responsibility and all those things. Those are all fine things, but now we're putting a percentage on that. We're putting a letter on that. We're separating you into a category that could forever determine where you'll be. Right. And we're going to get into a little bit later how we think we can change that a little bit or maybe some places where it's already been changed. But the first time we found that this A through F system that we currently have was employed in the 1940s in America. Just so happens, pretty big event was going on during that time, getting ready for World War II or preparing people for World War II. I've always kind of thought it was funny that they skipped E in the grading system and went <laughs> right to F. Just like, we know none of these other letters correspond with anything we could stick a word on, but F, that means failure. So we're going to skip E. We're going to go right to F, Miles and no we're going to call you a failure. Miles, no fake. I had E in my high school. Didn't you know, I? Yeah, we had E what, and what, F. What, what grade band, or what percentage was E for? E was 50, and F was F was just no. You were below 50. <laughs> yeah, you were below 50. You were 50. way down there. Yeah, you're way down there. That means like you, you didn't do anything. Okay. You had to try to get an F. All right. Well, we know that IQ tests were used a lot during uh, the lead up to World War II. And I think that if we looked at the historical systems that were being used in high schools at the time, where they implemented this A through F system, is for the same kind of reason. We can easily classify people. We can easily sort you out. You're the best. You're in the middle. You're bad. And you have failed. Yeah. And you are not fit for whatever we're going to put you through during World War II. But that system, very militaristic in nature very quick, still exists today. And with this history, uh, I don't think I've shared this with you before, Mike, but I was going through a box of stuff 
in my dad's attic a few years ago and I found a report card from my grandmother and it was from 1939, <laughs> her junior high report card. And it looked almost exactly like report cards that go home with the students in my school today or that my kids bring home from school. Almost exactly. There was a grid. They were handwritten. It wasn't made by a computer. Right. But there were letter grades associated with each class that my grandmother took in the 1930s. And it just struck me as I look at, looked at that report card. How much has changed? Mm -hmm. How much more we can do as far as teaching and learning and technology and information? And still, the best we can do with assessing what's been learned in a class or a classroom is one letter and a number on a piece of paper. Let me, in almost 100 years. Let me bounce off that for a second. So interesting you said that. I remember a conversation I had with my dad one time, and he was telling me, because I don't know what our, what our conversation led into, but he was telling me that when he, was, he went to school, rural, northwest Pennsylvania, and he said, I remember in high school, if you didn't get the endorsement of the guidance counselor on your report card, so they had handwritten report cards, uh, he was born in 44, so you do the math and figure out where he was in high school, but if you didn't get the signed endorsement of a guidance counselor on your report card, you might as well kiss any opportunity of being in industry goodbye. Kiss it goodbye. So if the guidance counselor didn't sign your, your report card, you were not going to be a tradesman. You had no chance of it. You were going to be something lower than a tradesman. And he said, we all knew that was the kiss of death. So imagine if the guidance counselor didn't like you. And he even said that. He goes, you needed to be good with the guidance counselor because you needed that endorsement or it was over. So you didn't need a college education to become a, a family man, to, to provide for your family. But what did you need? You needed a report card with the endorsement of the guidance counselor in order to get into like where he worked at Westinghouse. That was the only way he was going to become a journeyman, a signature from a man who respected you or did not respect you. <laughs> and I think that story, Mike, proves the exact premise that we're starting with and that we have in this episode, grades are fake. Yep. If grades weren't fake, all you would need on the report card were the grades and the numbers. Yep. But that tells me that that school couldn't just trust the grades. Exactly. You had to have a final endorsement from another person. Why? Why wouldn't the grades be enough? And we have that right now today. Right. Schools and universities, colleges don't trust the grades. Think of how many high schools exist in the United States of America. And what did the colleges and universities say? We don't know what those numbers mean on paper. You could have one teacher on the East Coast given a number for this. And a different teacher on the West Coast given a completely different number for something that's almost the exact same. Absolutely. What do we need? A standardized test. Because grades are fake. We have to give you another test to see how you're going to do in college because all these kids that are coming to our schools and universities with all of their grades, those grades aren't enough because people have such a wide variety of grades. And that in itself is a laughable joke because think of this. What if I'm in third grade and can take the boards right now? Right. 
No, 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 you can't take the boards right now. You have to go to a bona fide institution and get the grades and then take the test. Right. You can't take the test first without the bona fide institution. Which I think is like the funniest thing of all, actually. <laughs> like, that idea is so funny. Like, think about the bar exam. Yeah. Okay. Why does the bar exam exist? I'm sure that every law school in the country, not that I'm a lawyer, not that I've gone to law school, has accreditation. Mm -hmm. They have to be accredited as a law school. Mm -hmm. It's not good enough to become a lawyer in any state that you just graduated from law school. You also have to take this test. Once you pass this test, then you can become a lawyer. You can't take the test unless you've gone to an accredited law school. Why wouldn't it just be, if you can pass the bar exam, you can be a lawyer? It's very, very strange to me. It's like any of those other things. This is the test you have to pass that proves you know everything that you need to know to become a lawyer. Yeah. But you can't take it unless you do this program. So I'm The program's not good enough. <laughs> the test isn't good enough. You need both. So Why? It's fake. It is fake. Let me tell you how fake it is on the way here. So I'm driving here, and I'm thinking of a story when I was teaching. So it was... It was a few years ago, and Duncan, if you're listening to this, if you ever listen to this, you're going to smile because you're going to be like, how do you remember this conversation? Well, there's things I do remember. We can so, send this to Duncan. We should. We should. So I was having a conversation with Duncan. He's in my Spanish class. I'm like, Duncan, man, I, you can do so much better than this. And he's like, he shrugged his shoulders at me. He's like, I just don't feel, I don't want to. I'm like, come on, man, you got more. You can do this, man. Don't just settle with this. And this was, I was young, you know, I'm learning, I'm, I'm growing my trade and everything like that. Duncan looks at me and he, I mean, he hit me hard. I'll never forget this. He goes, listen, Mr. D, he goes, you know, my dad's a lawyer, right? I'm like, yeah. I mean, his name's in town. I, I see it. He goes, my dad got C's all through high school and all through law school. So, goes, <laughs> I mean, right. So, and that hit me hard because before that moment in time, I never thought of like, lawyers getting C's or even like like doctors lawyers those those top echelon professions that we've always considered top echelon professions getting C's and then occasionally D's or whatever they passed the bar it was a desire they didn't want they did what they wanted to do they followed their own journey to get where they got but they still got to that right it was just fascinating to me right and that the uh, I think the idea of those tests they exist for lawyers. They exist in a lot of other professions. They exist in education. Sure. The idea of those tests is really funny. Everyone works really hard to make sure this program, whatever it is, is on the up and up. And then these grades are on the up and up. But somewhere, someone can't trust that the program is on the up and up and the grades are on the up and up because then they have to have a test. Mm -hmm. Why do they have to create a test a praxis test in the state of Pennsylvania, and they exist in almost every other state now, to be a certified teacher. Because that didn't just happen. Someone just wake up and say, oh, I think I'm going to make this test. I mean, they benefit a lot of people financially and things sure. like that. Sure. But people said, wait a second, all these kids are coming out of education programs. They all have A's and B's, but they're not great teachers. Yeah. We need to make a test to see if you can be a great teacher. Mm -hmm. The grades... Are fake. Yeah. But the test is fake too. Absolutely. That's the problem there. Well, yeah, and Duncan taught me, a, he taught me such a valuable lesson at that moment of time. He's like, Mr. D, don't get bent at me because I don't feel like doing your homework. 
Right. <laughs> and like, Duncan already knew about the game education. Absolutely. He had it figured out as a 10th grader. Absolutely. It's, I don't want to offend any institutions out there, so I'm not going to mention any institutions, but like, should we all wear a pin that, that represents the level of learning or effort that we put into our education? Let me tell you an interesting one here, too. So I, I reference my wife every now and again because she's fascinating to me in, in how she learns things. So she graduated top of her class, top of her class, valedictorian in high school, okay? Well, that was a shared role. There was three valedictorians that year. So, again, I'm, I'm treading some thin ice right here because if people listen to this, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I see where you're going with this, Mike. So she always, she's very adamant about um, how she got valedictorian. <clears throat> of course, she had a grade point average of 4.0. We didn't have weighted grades where we went to high school. But not only did the grades stigmatize like being valedictorian over everyone else and getting a, a pin or whatever you want to call it for her achievement. But the other two valedictorians had something on her that she didn't have. And she still to this day, she is very cautious in talking about it. She doesn't like it because in third grade, she took some kind of assessment, some kind of written exam or whatnot, and it put her in a track for math. And it put her in a lower track so by the time we went to high school and you were tracked in this this whatever path for for math, she did not get to take calculus as a senior, okay, because that was the track that the smart kids went in. So the two other valedictorians, they were tracked in third grade, were able to take calculus. And it, I think I think it was third grade. Don't don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. There could be people like vetting this and say you're wrong about that. The point is. She did not get to take calculus as a senior. She only got to take pre-calculus. Guess what? She got a 4.0 just like they did. And there was a comment made, you're not the same valedictorian as the other two. Even did they have though, like a different color tassel and, or something right, like that? Right. Yeah. You think she ever forgot that? No. So it, she had to be pigeonholed for being valedictorian. Right. Like, come on. Come on. And so you're talking about the competition that exists in education Absolutely. because of grades and because of the system that we have. We're still talking about what is the problem, but we've identified a bunch of factors that make it a problem. Competition is definitely one. And we're going to move on in a second. But in our research on the history of this problem, we also found a quote from Horace Mann, 1846. Mm -hmm. And this is these are his words, as to incur moral hazards and delinquencies. He was worried that if people put more emphasis on the grade and less on the learning, that there would be competition and that that competition would ruin the learning. I don't think there's anyone that's been through school that can't see the ways that competition within a classroom or within a school damages the learning. You see movements across the country in high schools to get rid of valedictorians and things like that, but all of those structures still exist. People still grade on the curve. People still know in any classroom, this person has the best grades, this person has the lower grades. And if you think about the true nature of what we're trying to do, think about what school was like at Yale or any of those other places. I'll never go close to Yale, I know that. But 18, 1785, of a group of people going to a place to learn. Mm -hmm and get better together. 
an idea that I always like to talk about is that all learning is social. And we know through research that people learn best from their peers. And the reason why online education fails a lot is because there are no people to learn from. You have information and you have you. And the idea that all learning is social, even like this conversation right now, we're learning a ton just from this conversation because we're bouncing ideas back and forth between the two of us. If we could open this conversation up to eight or 10 people, right. we'd learn exponentially more because of the ideas that exist together. That social nature of learning is damaged every time you introduce elements of competition into whatever system you have. Not that we're going to learn this or accomplish this together, but instead that I'm going to assess this group and see who's the best and see who's the worst. If we can move away from this idea that I'm just going to throw this information out, we'll see who's really good at it, we'll see who's awful at it, two, we're going to learn this together or acquire this skill together, then we get away from this idea of grades and definitely the concept that they're fake and we get to something that's better. Absolutely. What is learning? Learning to me is not competitive, it's comparative. But not comparative to other people, comparative in time. What do I know now versus what will I know tomorrow? And if I can show a difference, I've, I can show learning. That's the idea behind true learning for me. Not necessarily do I know 88% now and 90 after I do a worksheet. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> and that idea, even as you're telling that story about your wife, people, I feel like a lot of people are competitive in nature. They want to do the best. We create the system. And if we create a system where to this day your wife feels like she was not as good as other people because of this competitive aspect that we put into the system, and it da that's damaging in Absolutely. some way. But we create that. But instead, you want people desire to do whatever you're asking them to do. Mm -hmm. I want to do my best on everything I do, at least in this point in my life. If mm -hmm. I see value in it, I want to be doing it as best as I possibly can. But it doesn't have to be better than the other people around me to the point where I am damaging them to get ahead. And that's what happens all the time in school, too. Right. Or even damaging myself not to do something. I mean, you're already creating a mindset of, well, I can't do that because I'm not at that level. So you're excluding people from something they may want to try and even fail at before they ever, ever get close to the concept itself. Well, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be a scientist. I'm not even going to try. Exactly. And who taught you that? We did. Right. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about what the problem is. I think the next step in this podcast and what we'll always do, talk about why it's a problem and then how we think it could change or we could solve it. Yep. Let's get in. Let's get back to a conversation that, that we had just a, a little while ago about getting what you want out of the system. So if you, let's just, let's assume that, that school is a game, okay? If we assume that school is a game, how do I get the most out of the game that I want? First, I have to determine, what do I want? What do I want out of this? And how, it, is what I want, has that been programmed into me by the game itself? Or have I been taught this? Or should somebody teach me this? I think that's what we'll get into a little bit later. So what do I want? If I want the grade, that's something entirely different than I want to learn something 
from my experience here. So I think we were talking about a, a kid in class. If we have a kid in class and, you know, and, and smiles at me or, you know, is kind to me, maybe, you know, it, it, to fulfill the analogy, brings me an apple and sets it on my desk. Do you think that kid is more apt to get a better grade than the kid who doesn't smile at me, maybe doesn't talk at all, maybe scowls, maybe does whatever? Do you think that the, the kid bringing me the apple is more apt to get a better grade than the other? It's possible. I'd say Let's it's, just say it's possible. I'd say it's more than possible. Absolutely. Right. I mean, think about that. I've got a kid in the back of the classroom, maybe in the front of the classroom. However you want to picture a kid in your head, um, it, it's again, these are edgy conversations, and they can be disturbing, but imagine a kid who's clean cut and comes up to me and says, Hi, Mr. D, how was your day? And, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this kid is so kind. I've automatically bumped that kid up a level in my head and said, Okay. I see what's going on here versus the kid who walks right past me. I'm having a bad day. I don't feel like saying hi to you. I've never been taught to address my elders or whatever you want to call it. And somewhere in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm scowling now at myself at this kid. I'm probably going to do less for that child than for the first one as far as I'll help him out. And I think you're talking about a little of this idea, Mike, of unconscious bias. Boom. And we've been there in different aspects of education or how we look at people. But if there is unconscious bias, and we know that that does exist, and we have a subjective system of grading and assigning numbers and letters to hopefully what has been learned, we then know that the teacher can always manipulate that grade. Let's be honest. You're a teacher. You open up your grade book. You can manipulate grades on a daily basis. Yes. And we haven't even talked about the difference between in whatever system you're in, if a, if a 90 is an A, the difference between an 89 and a 90. Absolutely. Or the difference between a 69 and a 70. Or go all the way down to that failure rate mm -hmm. and say that 60 is a pass and you move on and 59 is not. The difference between one percentage point in an entire course or the scope of someone's entire education and what a teacher can do to manipulate that one number. I think we've already kind of proven that grades are fake. Yep. And if they're fake, who's faking them? And then what does that do to the people on the other end of them? Absolutely. I've seen their fake in my own grading as a teacher. Hopefully, I did my best to make them represent what was learned in a class. But I know that early on in my teaching career, and even in the middle of that, always had direct control of what those numbers said. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna tell you something to be very, very honest. My goal was to always have my students have all A's. I'm gonna tell you something funny that happened to me in my teaching career. I started teaching courses that at the high school where I was teaching, they were the courses were ranked. And certain classes, students could take a course, and if they got an A, grade point average-wise, that equals a 6.0 on mm -hmm. a scale. Right. Then some classes were given a rank of, this is a little less important, they get a 5.0 if they get an A. And then this class is a little less important or a little less rigorous, and those students get a 4.0 if they get an A. 
Don't even want to delve into the fakeness of that system, but I just wanted to explain that for the point of this story. I started teaching A equals 5.0 classes. Mm -hmm. The end of that year, the majority of the students that I had in that class had an A. Principal came to me and said, how could these students all have A's? My response was, they all did what I asked them to do. It was a product-driven class. I had a product that I wanted to do. They all did it. They did exactly what I asked them to do, and they all had A's. He said, I'm dropping that class to a 4.0. It took me back, but it just illustrates the fact that grades are fake because that person couldn't accept the fact that everyone in my class could have an A. It could no longer equal a five. It couldn't be that important to mm-hmm. be a five. It could never be a six. Yep. But it had to be a four because he knew from that point forward, I was going to give most of my kids A's. I knew that I was going to give most of my kids A's before going into that class, not because I was going to hand out grades, but because I knew I was going to get them to the point that they were going to do everything I expected them to do. And they were going to create this product that I wanted them to do. All teachers should want every single kid to have an A every time. We shouldn't have some A, some B, some C, some Ds, and Fs. Almost everyone thinks that. We've talked about this bell-shaped curve. <laughs> we know it exists yeah. in a, everything, but the curve should end at A. The curve should end at 100%. Mm-hmm. It should be one grade. You get 100 because I'm going to get you to do what is my job to get you to do. Yep. The other way of looking at it is, I'm assessing where you are on this scale. And why does it always come to be that everyone comes out the way they came in? Exactly. We don't ever have someone who we expected to get a 60, get a 100. You can predict. They have software programs. The state of Pennsylvania will tell you, this is how this kid's going to do this year. Yep. And let's talk about, you know, full disclosure to anybody who might listen to this, um, I worked in that same district, both as a teacher and as an administrator. And uh, what, as, as an administrator, I found out a hard lesson really quick, too. When, when they dropped your course from an A equals 5 to an A equals 4, what did that do to your enrollment? So you're then <laughs> not going to get the best, highest achieving students in your school because of the competition and if those students see that your course is an A equal four, they can't take it if they want to have a good class rank. Absolutely. And how many of those kids that you think didn't take your course because of the weight deficit that they would have faced were interested in what you had to offer? Probably 100% of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they would come to me, and you know that they would go to other teachers too and say, I can't take your class because it'll negatively impact my GPA. Absolutely. They yeah. already had it charted out before they ever entered high school. Right. The courses that they had to take to have a chance to be valedictorian or the top 10% or whatever that was. And those kids would come into my office and say, my goal is to be in this percentile before I graduate. I want to rearrange my schedule. And I put my hands on my head and I'm going, what is going on here? You are dropping classes you are clearly interested in because they aren't weighted appropriately for you. And do you know what we did as administrators? We had enrollment so low in some of those electives. (laughs) This is ridiculous. We considered them unweighted. 
Right. We had to or else nobody would take them. Right. And that's what happened to my classes then. Some of those classes at the top of whatever, and it does not super important, but this could happen to anybody in some crazy high school that employs a system like this, but it's <laughs> all what we're talking about, the game of education. You're teaching an unweighted class in a high school. Okay. You know what that really means? The grade means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Which helped me so much as a teacher. Yep. Because the kids coming in, a lot of times then, were high-achieving students in other classes, but I could tell them on the first day, this class isn't about your grade. It's about what we'll do. Like every class should be, mm-hmm. but every single day I could de-emphasize the importance of the grade. What do I need to do to get this grade? And instead make it, this is what we're going to do together. And how did you see that impacting students? Students, I bet you, in your classes, because they did it in my class, it, it was saddening to me for a long time, but I bet you students in your class had a hard time accepting the change that you were putting in front of them because they came into your class immediately saying, what do I got to do to get the grade? They were coming into my class saying, can you just give me the worksheet? Right. Just give me the worksheet. I want the grade. That's all I want. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear what you have to offer. You might have something that you know that I don't. I don't care. I just want the worksheet. I'll figure it out. Turn it in. Get the grade. Right. And you want to do another funny experiment? <laughs> and I did this a lot when I was teaching different classes. Someone would come to you. Um, Mr. O'Shea, I have an 89. I should have had 100 on this. Okay, just write down on this piece of paper whatever you think you should have had. Yep. Well, wait a second. Why are you doing that? Because you're already telling me that my assessment of this isn't important to you. You tell me whatever number you want. I'm telling you already, this is what I gave you, but I'm also telling you that number isn't most important. What you did in the class and what you learn is most important. Put whatever funny number you want on the paper. I'll put it on this paper. We can all play the game together and move on. Absolutely. I used to call it something different in my classes. I'd open it up and I'd say, anybody open for grade negotiations? And I did it all the time. Because if my assessment of what you did in this class doesn't match your assessment of what you did in this class, we better meet somewhere. Because in my mind, your value of what you took from the class should equal my value of what I gave to you in the class. If we can't meet somewhere in the middle, then it is fake. It is absolutely fake. You came here and I came here for two different reasons. I came here for a paycheck. You came here for a grade. That is so fake. That is so fake. It's appalling. And you asked me a question how long it took students that I had in those unweighted classes to get used to that. It probably took them at least nine weeks before they would even lighten up and start to create and do without fear or worry of a number or a letter grade. But you can get there as a teacher, but you're operating within this whole system that everyone is telling that person this number and this letter is most important. And that's the really hard thing to do is to break free of that as a teacher, an administrator, a parent, whoever. You're a parent. You want your students coming home. You want your kids coming home with good grades. Yeah, for sure. If they're not good, then you think something's wrong. Right. Or if you came to my open house and I was teaching and I stood up on the first day and said, hello, parents. First thing I want you to know about my class is grades aren't important. (laughs) You're going to think about a schedule change. Yeah. Because you're going to think this guy's a little off and grades are important because of everything I know for my whole life. I want to know what 
grade my child's going to get. First thing, how does every parent-teacher conference start off with? These are your grades. And then all of a sudden, someone is standing in front of me telling me these grades aren't important. And that goes to a lot of things I think we talk about mm -hmm. and we'll talk about of challenging norms. And as soon as you challenge the norm, you're floating in a place that a lot of people are very, very uncomfortable. Absolutely. I'm going to make them even more uncomfortable. I'm going to take your example and go on the other end of the spectrum. So walk into, for all the parents out there, walk into an open house right now and listen to the teacher go, okay, hi parents, how are you? Hey, uh, I have 20 kids in this classroom. I'm just going to let you know, first day of class, you know, 10% um, of the kids are going to get A's, 10% of the kids are going to get F's, and I'm going to evenly distribute the rest of the grades among D and B. I don't care what they learn. That's how I'm grading. When does it become acceptable to do that at the college level or any other level? Heck, I've had high school teachers do that, simple grading on a curve, mm -hmm. because uh, we're going to have a bell-shaped curve, and like you said before, they're going to leave the same way they came in, but that's, that's how it works. There's going to be 10% A's, there's going to be 10% F's, and everywhere in between is everywhere in between. Fake. It's fake. <laughs> it's fake. And you touched on something that's even more fake, the concept of grading on the curve. Why would you have to grade on the curve in the first place? Go back to that idea that I said that I believe every teacher should have a goal of every single student in their class having an A. That's your job, to have those students do or learn whatever it is your task with mm -hmm. teaching them. But the whole idea of a curve came about because the competition and someone hasn't learned at the top what they should learn. Right. So to make this look better, I can't, as a teacher, have no one with A's, but I gave a test and the highest grade was a 76. So I'm going to make that more fake, arbitrarily <laughs> make that point the 100. Yeah. And then I know i got to have the bell-shaped curve because that makes me feel good. Yeah. And I've got to assess everyone and have the 10% at the top and the 10% at the bottom and fill in the nice middle. And I just made it arbitrarily more fake instead of saying 76 was the best. There's a lot that I have to reteach here. Yeah. Because there's a whole bunch that was not learned. Let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's go back to the concept of grading on the curve. Because if I'm devil's advocate, maybe I'm that person in the community going, yeah, well, our system is designed for that. You know what? You need to do that. You need to grade on the curve because that's what the SAT does. Because if too many people get a, a very high score in the SAT, what do they do? They make it harder so that they resume the bell-shaped curve. If not enough people get a good score on the SAT, they make it easier because they constantly shift that curve. That's what society does, Miles. So that's what I want you to do as a teacher. Right. And we're stuck there. <laughs> yes. We've been stuck there for two or three hundred years, and we're stuck there right now. And so It makes people feel good, yes. right? Yes. People tell you, there's winners and losers, Mike. Yep. We have winners and losers here, too. But if we don't fundamentally change the thinking of the students who are coming into schools. Mm -hmm. If we do nothing, if all we do is assess, and that's really all we're doing, we're putting them on the curve somewhere, and then we're passing them on to the next group. Absolutely. And then the next group is doing the exact same thing and passing them on, and that's how we get the people at the top, but we already knew they were going to be at the top because they were at the top when they came. Yep. Then we got the kids in the middle, we have the people in the middle, and we have the people down low that we know that you're never going to do anything anyways, and you have lost 
I, I, you know what? I, I don't know why I want to do it, but I think right now is a good time to dig a deep hole. It's going to get deep because might as well go there. Might as well go there. You might as well go there. You know what? There's going to be winners and losers, and that's just the way it is. Okay. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. So we have doers, we have don't doers, we have A's and we have F's. You know, if you don't do it, you're going to fail. At what point does a school say, wow, I've got a lot of people failing? Well, if they fail, they fail. Okay, at what point does a, does a school say, I'm turning loose a lot of failures into our community? And at what point does the community start to say, this isn't a good community to live in anymore, son? You know what? When you make it, you're going to get out and do something with yourself, and you're never going to come back. When did that become acceptable? I think it became acceptable when we start looking at our communities and saying, I, it wasn't like it used to be. It's, it's, I wish it were like it used to be. wonder if we're contributing to that. Seriously. Right, and that's a hard <laughs> thing for people to face and to think about. Think about it, how it looks on a bigger scale. We're sitting in Pennsylvania, and we have districts funded by property taxes. Okay, And now you know that people live where they can afford to live. And the schools that they go to are based on where they live. Mm -hmm. And if you're teaching or leading a school that has a high percentage of people that don't have very much, they all look the same, they sound the same, Mm -hmm. they maybe even achieve the same. Right. We can all feel comfortable somewhere in that system that everyone's just not very good. Right. This is what we're left with. All the people that were at the top of the curve, they, like you said, moved away. If we do find some more people at the top of the curve, we want to encourage them to move away too, to get someplace with the other people that are successful and can do better than the majority of people who we're left with. Now, we're taking the idea of student grades and classroom grades, and we're now making it more global. And let's talk about that for a second. In the state of Pennsylvania, schools get grades too. Now, I'm a person and I'm on the move, right? I'm a professional and I'm going to move somewhere. Do you think I'm going to research schools for my kids? Well, I am because that's important to me. Right. How people educate my children... I don't have children, but if they if I did, how are they going to educate my kids is going to be very important to me. Am I going to move to a community with a school who has a grade of whatever? Whoa, hold on a second. What grades do they use for the schools? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> They're still using the same letter grade. They're still using the same. That we're all using. That's Absolutely. good. That's convenient. I like that. Super convenient. Hey, you know what? Our problem is, is our schools aren't achieving the way that they should be. And... So the few kids that are achieving within our school are moving out. Nobody's coming in, and our school has a poor grade. We're just contributing to the wheel of, of, of disillusionment, of despair. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're creating our own problem. So we're still talking about the why of the problem. We could probably talk about this forever. Yeah. Talk about how the gamification of learning and the way that we assess damages students, you started off this session talking about if we acknowledge that it's a game, we need to change the system a little bit. Let's say it's a game. I would love to. And let's say that we're going to assess students on a number. We need to make the number 
match exactly what we want. And I, I think I'm going back to to your idea of gamification of education. I mean, I can't get away from this in my own mind. And I know there's going to be a lot of argument out there. There's people listening to this who are going to be like, well, you just want everybody to win. Everybody can't always win. And I'm like, yeah, but everybody can't always lose, too. I mean, that's learned helplessness. We all know this. Well, we might not all know, but the study of the rats. You put a rat in a cage and, and you constantly shock it before it can get fed. Learned helplessness is a cruel, cruel sight. It's an awful vision. <laughs> Why can't we have everybody win when we consider learning winning? There's nothing wrong with that. If we call learning winning, everybody should be winning. And the idea of a game is that we win. I want to win. You want to win. Why can't everybody win that game or at least experience what it's like to win and then be driven to win? And if winning equals learning, be driven to learn. There shouldn't be something wrong with that. I completely agree with that. I was also thinking about some other things ahead of this podcast that I've find to be really interesting. In K through 12 education, you have this grading system of A to F. In undergraduate education, you have the same system. By the time you make it to graduate education, and I believe it's this way pretty much universally across the country, you have A through C, basically. Mm -hmm. If you get a C, you haven't done what's expected of you. You still have A and B. Then you have a doctoral level of education, mm-hmm. and it's very similar, but everyone knows in that system, if you don't have an A in the course, you haven't done whatever it is that's expected of you. Right. There's basically one grade. Right. So as you go up, they take away the layers of however they're assessing somebody. Right. If that is the top, why can't that be through the whole system? And you get to a much more binary system that way of we've achieved this, we haven't. Mike, you showed me what I think is a really cool concept of education and a system that uses achievement badges. And students can prove what they have done or their goals and they just get out there and say, I can do this or I can't. Mm -hmm. Rather than I can do 84% of whatever it is I've been asked to do, which I think is a really cool concept. It, you know what? I'm not going to own this concept because many old school district did this. I've, I've seen their presentations on it, so big shout out to them. But something similar came to me prior to me seeing what they actually did. Um, and it hit, me like a, it hit me like a meteor falling from the sky. I was, I was walking into a kindergarten classroom, and the kindergartner teacher said, Hey, don't you want to be a part of the shoe tying club? Um, and it just it hit me so hard. I'm like, the shoe tying club? You mean you get to be a part of a club when you learn how to tie your shoes? And all the kids were all about like, yeah, I'm going to be a part of the shoe tying club. I'm like, whoa, sweet. Could I be a part of the addition club? How about part of the phonics club? Or how about part of the I can read club? Those are checkpoints in our system that represents so much more than a letter grade or a percentage grade. And why can't that be a system that would that we use all throughout our educational experience. It's the 100%. It's the I can do it club. But Mike, you've told me that you love talking analogies when you talk about education. Let's use shoe tying as an analogy for this. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you encountered this teacher that has the shoe tying club. Mm -hmm. You can tie your shoes or you can't. 
Everyone who ties their shoes has done exactly what we want them to do. They can tie their shoes. They have the skill. Yep. I would say in an idea, and I'm just going to present this right now, that there are two forms of education. There's natural education and learning, and there's formal education and learning. Mm-hmm. Okay? Just stay with me on this. I'm here. Natural occurs in the natural world. How you learn to do something. How humans learn. Formal education is artificial that school has created. For whatever reasons, we have to have a system. Go back to shoe tying. The kids can tie their shoes. Tie your shoes and move on. That's natural learning. Right. We put it in school, which then makes you think, this is really cool. It's not fake. But how would school assess shoe tying in the formal education setting? They would then say... They would put maybe a rubric on it, mm-hmm. or they would put some levels on it. Well, we don't just need you to tie your shoes. Absolutely. We want to see who's the best at tying their <laughs> shoes. We want to see who can tie their shoes the fastest, regardless if some people's fine motor skills are better or not. We want to see who learned this fastest, and if you can tie your shoes the best, we're going to praise you, and you mm-hmm. learn that super fast. And now you get to move on to something cool. And the kids who are struggling, we're going to make you feel like you're not quite as good as those kids over there because they did it faster. Even though everyone who learned how to tie their shoes can just tie their shoes. That's it. Stop there. But school would make that artificial. And then they would give you a grade based on how fast you learned how to tie it. Maybe how it looked. Maybe how pleasant you were while you were doing it. Maybe if you listened to the teacher and did it the first time and complied. And we would take all of those factors and put it in a number that we would send home. It's not just shoe tying. This is your grade on shoe tying. It's fake. Absolutely, it's fake. And how soon do kids learn, if I do it this way and play within this confines of the game, I'll be successful? Or when do they learn it? If I don't do that, I won't be successful. And at what point do they give up trying? And let me take that one little step further. Let's say in that formal education setting, this student didn't get it the first time, so they went home. And their parent showed them a different way to tie their shoes. Mm -hmm. And then they went back into school, and they had to take the shoe tying test. And they followed different steps to tie their shoes to get to the same results. Mm -hmm. But their grade would be less Because they didn't use the system that the teacher taught them, even though the only goal is to tie their shoes. And let's not leave out some other kids, too. What about the kids that came in on the first day and already knew how to tie their shoes, but sat through the lessons and learned what? Nothing at all, because they already knew how to tie their shoes. Am I talking about those kids that we call gifted? Sure I am. Sure I am. I'm saying... They're leaving the same way they came in, at the top, at the bottom, and in between. And I'm not trying to blow up the whole analogy, but I just thought of some other stuff. What about the students that have flip-flops on, (laughs) and they never want to tie their shoes? Right. And what about someone that doesn't have arms? How are we going to teach them how to tie their shoes? Right. It doesn't fit in the system. Right. doesn't fit in the system. you You go into a different area where you learn something else about shoes, but not necessarily how to tie them, or even that you can tie them. Sure. Right. And I think we're getting to the point that we're seeing this system is fake. We want to get to a more 
skills aligned or binary focused. We are teaching people how to do this. We don't care about assessing on different levels. We want people that can do things and think things. Sure. And that's what we want our assessment system to reflect. And if it's the other way, if it's opposite, everything that we do always becomes about the letter grade or the number and not about all the important stuff that we're doing with our kids every day. And I don't think any of this conversation is intended to bash anything that is being done in schools. No. It's just that we have aspects of our system, including assessment, that are off and right. we need to fix them. Absolutely. And I don't want to. I definitely don't want to bash systems out there, but there, there's a lot of this conversation that that becomes very real, even even in the world. Why does the system of grading A, B, C, ninety, eighty, seventy? Why does it all of a sudden end when the professional aspect of your life begins? So, are you graded on your job with a one hundred ninety eighty? There may be areas in the world that you are. Maybe it is very competitive in certain fields. But I'm saying, overall, if, if I go to work, am I graded on anything in, within my salary? Am I graded on my attendance? No, I'm given so many days off and whatever. Okay, so am I graded on my punctuality? No, I can get a warning. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. That's not what we were taught in school. We were taught that if you miss one out of ten, you get a 90. So if you're late one day, you don't get docked and pay. That's not how it exists in the real world. It only exists in school with formal education, and then it goes away. How real is it? I mean, if we get back to where we can say, you've learned something, and this represents that you learned it, I think that we're better off. And you're heading into dangerous territory. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> because if the two of us walked into a school today, or a school district today, and said, we are eliminating letter grades and percentage grades, we'd have a whole lot of trouble right now, today. You would have trouble on so many different levels. You'd have trouble for college admissions. You'd have trouble with parents. You'd have trouble with community members. There'd be a lot of heat coming your way. But I think that in the next section, we can point to systems that have already done this yep. and maybe talk about how teachers can do this in their individual classrooms or how principals can work on changing the systems in their schools or whole school districts can change so we can get closer to that ideal that we're talking about. And I think that's the key moving forward. How do we then as a, as a school system push for that intrinsic motivation in our grading system, in our high schools, in our elementary schools? How do we connect? I, there's the key word. How do we connect with our students to get them to want to learn? And I think it is in that word connection. How do we make it meaningful for every each and every student in, in school. And part of that has to be the de-emphasis of that letter grade. I agree. The emphasis on the learning and the doing and probably creating a new system of reporting assessment to get there. Just like I talked about my grandmother's report card from the 1930s looking exactly the same as report cards today, we can do better than that. Mm -hmm. We can do better in having conversations with our students about what they're learning and what they're achieving. We can do better in reporting to parents as to what their children are doing in school mm -hmm. and how they're learning. We can do so much better than that. 
And I will say there are even systems in place. I know in Pennsylvania, we, we toss around this, this, this uh, it's called Act 339. And I think that there's not enough emphasis on it where I am in particular, because think about this. We have, we have in Pennsylvania Act 339 where students from early elementary school start to think about and talk about what they want to become as a, as a member of our community and they do it all the way through their senior year. But if we de-emphasize that process, then we're not allowing them the idea to explore where they need to go for themselves in their own education. So if I want to be profession A, maybe I'll steer away or toward certain things in my education and it won't matter so much the grade I get, I put more value in the learning. I love Act 339 because it really drives people to think about what they want to become within our community. And when we don't focus enough energy on that, when it just becomes a check mark, yeah, we did that. I went into the classroom, I did a presentation, they filled out a survey. When we do those things, we are not giving due credit to the process that it was designed to do. I think we really need to, to hone in on that, to really give value to kids and what they want to do. I think you're right, and I think there's a way to do that. And I think at the same time that we or anyone else who's moving in that direction would try to accomplish that, everyone has to be mindful of the forces that keep the system in place that currently exists. Okay, so let's say I have a magic wand right now, Mike. I give you the magic wand. We got this huge problem. Grants are fake. Mm -hmm. In your school today, magic wand, boom, how do you fix it? I'm going to tell you right now, my advice is... Where you are, do what you can do for the people in front of you. And, and I know there's, there's an author out there that says lead from where you are, but think about that. I had a classroom full of students. I had 25 students at a time. I had six periods of them a day. And I was already at a young, as a young man trying to teach kids, connect with them on a personal level. That was number one. Number two was have them take value of the grade that you have to give them because I'm in a system that gives grades. Give them power to talk about their learning and then somehow form a rubric in your mind and share that with them so that they are meeting you where you're meeting them. So in essence, they came into this class to get something. You came into this class to give something. Where did you meet? That needs to be an open conversation with your students. Okay, so now I'm the principal of a building. Have that conversation with your teachers, and maybe that trickles down. Sorry, that's a term, I know. But maybe that trickles down to the students then. So you're a principal of a building. You're having that conversation with teachers, still working within the system because a principal can't change the system per se. Okay, maybe now I'm a superintendent, and I have these conversations with my entire faculty or with our administration team. Let's meet kids where they are. I'm coming into this situation. You're coming into this situation. I'm giving something, you're taking away something. Where do we meet there? What were my expectations? What were your expectations? Where do we meet? That's very, very important for me. That's how I'm going to change whatever the, the way of thinking is. That's how I'm going to fix the problem. It might be a minute fix, but that's where I am. And that's I, always how I've been. Right, and I think, like you said, lead from where you are. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to control your space and figure out how you can influence it, that which you desire to change right in that one area. Yes. So you just outlined it for three areas. And then if people listening to this on this topic or anything else 
start to change their one small area, the system begins to change from within. And I'm, We're not going to restructure grades and the assessment system no. that's been in place for hundreds of years today or even with this podcast. No, no. And I think future podcasts will focus on on areas of assessment, on areas of standards-based assessments, even on areas of, of core curriculum. None of those things I will ever argue and say are horribly, horribly wrong, but if you, if you understand and can identify where you are and how you address those things with the people who are in front of you, you will be successful. And let's say there are people listening to this right now who maybe agree with some of the things that we've had said just a little bit. If you're a classroom teacher, I would recommend making this statement to yourself first and then to your students at the beginning of whatever course it is that you're teaching. I am going to ensure that your grade represents what you have learned and what you can do. Think about that statement for a second. The grade that I give you will reflect what you can do and what you have learned. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you extra credit. I'm not going to grade on the curve. I'm not going to make this some fake charade of getting a number. I think that your assessment is vital to me. We have not said that we don't think assessment is important. It's essential. But we are going to make your grade represent what you can do and what you have learned. Absolutely. That sounds different the, wherever you are in a school system. So at an elementary level, that's going to sound different than at a high school level. Speaking from experience, I would, I would talk to my students at the high school level and say, what do you need from this course? Let's, talk, let's be honest. It's Spanish 1. What do you need from this course? And kids would say, I just need the credit. And my response to them, then I'm going to get you that credit. Then let me help you get that credit. That's that's important to have that open conversation. What do you need from this? I need to learn as much Spanish as I possibly can because I want to be an international lawyer. Then I'm going to teach you as much as I possibly can But I'm also going to teach the kid as much as I possibly can who just needs the credit. I'm not going to fail you as a student. I'm not going to fail you as a student. I'm going to meet your expectations. I want to talk about how you're now going to meet mine. My expectations are that you learn what I have to offer, and mine are that I can teach you what you need. And you're touching on something that a lot of people miss. A lot of people talk about education from one side or the other, from the teacher's side or the student's side. It's both. Yes. We're always in control as educators of what we do and influence the thoughts and actions of students. But it's always two. Yes. It's not one. Right. It's together. I mean, think about it as a principal, Miles. What does my my community need from me as a principal? They They need two things, too. Mr. Ditzenberger, I need to know that you're teaching my kids. I also need to know that my kids are going to come home happy and safe. Okay. They have said this to me. I've had open conversations with our parents about this. Do you think parents are mad when their kids come home mad? Sure they are. I would be too. My kid had a really bad day and that, that's, that's a problem for me. Let's talk about that. Let's work on that. That's a big component of elementary education. Kids coming home happy and safe and knowing that they've learned something too. I mean, you've got to meet your community, and your community has to meet you. I'm going to provide for you what you expect from me, 
and you need to meet me where my expectations are too. Right, and you're all going to go to a new place together. Yes. You're not going to go there separately. It's not possible. Right. You need to have a goal, and both parties need to go there together. Right. I want kids leaving my school with more than a report card. So then think about grades and assessment like this before we wrap this thing up. Think about the fact that if the students don't learn, achieve, or accomplish whatever the goal is, the teacher has failed them. That's backing this thing up one step, but you have to have both. You have to have the education system, the teachers, and the students. But if you have students walk into your classroom that just refuse, you can look at it that two ways. I can't teach them. They have failed themselves. Or it's still my job, no matter what, yep. to do whatever it takes to get that person to open up and want to achieve and then achieve. Absolutely. One of the most powerful things that ever happened to me in my experience was I was getting ready for student teaching. I was nervous, even though I had been through the whole education program at my university, but I was nervous about going into student teaching. And they had this big seminar with all the people getting ready to student teach, and we're all sitting in a lecture hall, and the head of the education department was talking about how if you don't do this and this and this and this, you'll get a B and C in your student teaching, and that will doom you, and you'll never be a teacher or whatever that was. And I was coming off that meeting and I sat down with a professor who I still communicate with to this day and respect greatly. And she sat with myself and two other people who she was going to supervise. And she said, you guys will get an A. Mm -hmm. Now she didn't say that saying, I'm going to hand you an A. What she was saying was, I will not let you do work that is less than the best together with you. You will not get a B. You will not get a C. You will get an A, but we're going to do that together. She didn't say all those words, but that's what she meant, and she proved it every single day that she worked with me during that semester. When she came in, we had meaningful conversations. While other people were struggling as student teachers and maybe out there on a limb and the professor was just assessing mm -hmm. how they were doing, she was actively working with me throughout that semester to make me the kind of teacher who she knew that I could be. It's the exact same thing we need from our teachers, from our administrators, from our system every day. Our goal is for everyone to have 100. Yep. It's binary. It's you did or you didn't. How are we going to do it together? Absolutely. We must have had great teachers growing up in, in our college experiences because my student teaching supervisor said something very similar to me. And I, and I think we owe those teachers a debt of gratitude because they saw the bigger picture way back when. And I think they were trying to teach us, hey, Miles and Mike, keep going with this idea that this is good teaching. This is how you get good learning. Because he said to me, Mike, you already have the A. Now show me how you got it. Blew me <laughs> yeah. away. I was like, oh my God. That's the exact same thing. <laughs> That's the exact same thing, right? And I think that in classrooms, we did that for our students. I hope that as administrators, we're teaching teachers to do that. Yes. But the message I want to give to everyone is it's okay to have all A's. Yes. That's the goal. The right. goal isn't to measure. The goal is to get everyone there together. Right. To my teachers or the teachers who work in my school, they're not my teachers. They work at the school where I work. 
you have my permission to give all A's. Yes. You better work real hard to get everyone there. That's actually an expectation. Right. Everyone does it and does it really, really well. Exactly. Imagine if every kid was on a salary schedule. <laughs> you're already getting paid. Show me what you're doing to get the paycheck. Right. Let's because when go. it comes down to it, it's our job to get that job done together. That's our job. That's our it. job isn't to assess and to just tell people what they already know about themselves. Our job is to transform the actual lives of people who come before us every day. And that's where it should rest. I think that probably pretty much wraps up this podcast. Yeah. We talked about the problem. We know it's a problem. There's a lot of fakeness in grades. We talked about why there's a problem there. We talked about some easy ways that we would work to fix it. The um, badge system that you have explored, and we're going to put the link to that on our website, yep. is something super powerful. And I think we can take a ton of lessons from that and explore yep. it in the future. We're going to keep exploring questions as we move through this podcast and hopefully help some people along the way. Agreed. And I welcome arguments too. I, I not, not only arguments, but, but fruitful discussion on, on all of what we talked about. So please feel free to pipe in. We'll be ready. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Schools Out podcast with Mike and Miles. Our goal is to shed light on education and the issues that impact students most and work to find meaningful solutions to them. Please come back for future episodes as we continue the conversation. School is out. What's next?